This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The 2021 Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival was held in Aotearoa, Dunedin, our UNESCO City of Literature, from the 6th until the 9th of May. In this podcast series, we share recordings from these sessions with you. In Mapping Dunedin's Stories, Frank Gordon, Roger Hicken, David Chikariko and Nicola Cummins discuss the intimate connection cityscapes have to their literary imagination. Presented by J.W. Smeaton and co-accountants. Cityscapes and their surroundings have an intimate connection to the literary imagination, inscribing a sense of place, a sense of identity that persists through time, or so the scholars say. Uh, How does Dunedin map its own literary heritage. In what ways might it lay special claim to that intimate connection between landscape, literature, and collective identity? Does such mapping faithfully preserve our literary history, or does it playfully subvert that role in practice? These are some of the questions we might consider Today, as we welcome you to this session on Mapping Dunedin's Stories, brought to you uh, with the gracious support of J.W. Smeaton Accountants. I'm David Chikorico. I will be your host for this session. I'm joined by Frank Gordon, Roger Hicken, and Nicola Cummins. And the really curious thing about this session today is that we're all coming at this project of mapping in distinctly uh, different ways ways, from hand-drawn maps uh, to digital apps and uh, street art and poetry in between. So toward that end, uh, first up we have painter and illustrator Frank Gordon, uh, known and adored for his iconic illustrated depictions of Dunedin. So please join me in welcoming Frank. Thank you. Um Dave and uh, Morena, Tanakoto. Uh, good morning. Um, I, uh, I just want to say what an honour it is to be here and to um, speaking and getting involved in the Writers' Festival alongside such uh, prestigious and talented, creative people. I feel really humbled. Um, I'll, I'll try and avoid map puns whenever I can. Um, <laughs> getting lost on the way here and finding my way through my presentation, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But you, you, you're welcome to use as many map puns as you like in, in the subsequent uh, discussion. Um, now, as soon as Hannah asked me to come along to the, um, the, the, the presentation and get involved and talk about maps, I thought at first she wanted me to draw a map of the venue, and um, which I would have done quite happily. <laughs> marking out the exits and the toilets and people and running around, that sort of thing. But actually, um, and I would have done that. I would have been quite happy to do that because maps are a bit of an obsession for me. Uh, I I love drawing them. I'm always drawing them. I'm always drawing. It's more of um, an affliction rather than a a hobby or a pastime. Can't stop. And in fact, as you can see, I'm already at it. And I'll be drawing a bit more later on. But then I realised what she was talking about was um, something that uh, confirmed for me about what maps are and what they convey. Maps are stories. Maps have stories buried in them. 
in the, in the streets and in the places, uh, the place names, um, and they can invoke memories and, and feelings and emotions. Um, and in the book, A Town Trod by Poets, we, we, we can see many beautiful uh, examples of that as, as poets uh, walked or strolled or staggered around the streets of Dunedin, um, writing about what they, what they felt and what they saw and, and heard and smelled. Um, so maps can do that. They can, they can take the, the viewer to um, a, a place in time, a memory, um, an experience. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so this is a painting I did a couple of years ago. Not, not exactly a map as such, but um, it's probably familiar to you as the former post office building. And um, maybe, maybe it's a snapshot from some sort of painted futuristic Google Maps somehow. Um, and I wasn't actually going for a, a, a global warming cautionary uh, vision here. I actually started off in quite a positive uh, frame of mind. I wanted it to be kind of like a, a, a Venice of Dunedin. <laughs> But, you know, a watery uh, utopia rather than a drowned dystopia. Um, but actually, you could make um, a nice book cover for a dystopian Dunedin-based novel. I don't know, I'll just leave that there. For... <laughs> um, more maps. This is, a, this is the airport toilets, Dunedin Airport. Um, this might seem a wee bit like a slideshow of this is me going on my holidays, but um, the, these these are two maps that, that are, are, I've been drawing and adding to over the years. One of the peninsula and one of the the um, the city spliced together, blown up and plastered in the gents. Why not? Um, uh, uh, so the idea is that um, this type of map, you're, um, you've got a bird's eye view, you're kind of flying over the, the map, looking down um, it's all hand drawn so maybe you can be a hand drawn character as well and therefore anything can happen in a drawing um, you, you make it up as you go along, so anything can happen even as I'm missing your flight um, so move on to the next one, another map so a good old gable end painting this is a building down at the Commodore Motel in the north end of uh, Dunedin. Not really a map that you could use to find your way around that part of the town. Maybe. I mean, maybe the, the, the guests can look at it and see where they are in um, relation to the, the gardens and the, the, the motel. Um, so... But, Actually, they don't really need to do that. They've got GPS and maps on their phone. So it's not, it's not really what, what, what it's about. Um, it's, it's adornment, decoration. It's um, a bit of fun, a bit of colour. Uh, and, and somewhere in the gardens there, you can see Peter Pan on his statue. So there's a, a nice sort of storybook link as well. This one, um, th this was a map that I, I drew during the lockdown for local businesses, and it was somewhere on the internet. It's an interactive map, so you can click on each of those little businesses, delve into their website, see what's going on. Um, and again, it's, I, I'm not a cartographer, but I've, I've kind of got the, the, the streets pretty much right. Um, I must say it's a, it's a headache trying to 
every time. I've drawn Dunedin Street so, so often and um, I've always got to go back and check and recheck. There's something about the layout, I don't know. People say it was like based on Edinburgh, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Um, I, I'm always thinking, and, and you know, interactive maps, I, I love doing things like that, trying to find innovative ways of uh, drawing maps like Willy Wonka inventing um, new chocolate bars. So maybe a scratch and sniff map is coming soon. Um, so this one, the Dunedin Botanical Gardens, which, and again, I've taken lots of artistic license here. It's where, where, where a map becomes a painting, becomes a map. And again, um, the paths that I've drawn in there, they're more to give a feeling and a flow to add to the painting rather than a guide. And you would you'd probably get, end up getting lost if you tried it. It wouldn't make sense to, in real life. But again, it's all about fun. Again, we're, we're up flying with um, Peter Pan and Wendy and the, 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 the children. And uh, then we'll move on to the next one, which is a similar uh, one, which is uh, Orokunui, another, another one of Dunedin's uh, Otipoti gems. Again, um, I've really gone to town with the artistic license, and it's not a map that you would uh, use to prevent you from being lost, which is what maps do, but rather it's an illustration of somewhere where you might be quite happy becoming lost in all of that beautiful... Um, flora and, and fauna. So, um, and then I'll just this one the, again back to the Commodore Motel. They've been they've been so great and helpful to, to, to with me to allow me to adorn their walls with illustrated maps. Um, again, this is in the reception area. Again, another bit of colour and fun. Guests can stand there and talk about places they've been to and what happened there and where they'd like to go. Um, but I might just bring this to uh, an end by reaffirming um, maps for me. They're all about um, stories and feelings and, and memory. Um, I've got a really a, a terrible, terrible sense of direction, and, and, but <laughs> even with a map. Um, but they're not maps that aren't really for that for me. Maps are more about that they're a souvenir of that place, of that, that time. I love finding little maps that people have discarded and they've drawn, make little notes on them or drawn little figures. Um, we, we see all manner of life and, 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 and stories within the streets. Um, Stuart Street, for example, some people... But we all have different feelings about different streets in, in Dunedin and whether we like it or not. Maybe if you're standing at the bottom of Stuart Street about to walk up it to get home, I mean, that's an epic epic poem, let alone an epic hill. Um, it may fill you with dread. Um, so there's a feeling. Um, Maury Place. Um, for me, the word Maury, of course, in, in Scotland, um, in, uh, sums up a memory for me um, of, of being a teenager and um, camping in Nairn, um, walking over the Keswick Bridge, which links Inverness to the Black Isle, uh, walking over that bridge with my sleeping bag over my head to, to, to prevent the brutal assault from midges. So I often think about that, but Maury Place itself, it's that amazing circular street that rings the centre of 
Dunedin, there was a hill there one time called Bell Hill that's gone. Um, what, what happened? You know, the stories in there. Um, you walk around Mori Place, you, you'll see uh, religion, revelry, I've got a list, uh, music, art, um, poverty, prosperity, history, innovation, uh, small business, big business, pioneer women, uh, the, the, the past and the present and the future. And I'm pretty sure that you would, at some point along Dunedin's history, you would find a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, tinker, tailor, soldier, sailor. It's all there. Um, so, but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Frank. Next up, we have a poet, visual artist, publisher, and translator, Roger Hicken. Uh, many of you know him through Cold Hub Press. Today, he'll be talking to us about the recently published work, A Town Trod by Poets. Please join me in welcoming Roger. Dunedin, appropriately for New Zealand's city of literature, seems to crop up in poetry more frequently and more vividly than any other New Zealand city or town. It is the temporal and symbolic centre of many of the poems of Janet Frame, James K. Baxter and Peter Olds. It's Charles Brash's home ground, his city that floats on the void edge past the century beat of breakers, beyond White Island, last step into nothing. It is Baxter's bare southern town, a hand's breadth from Antarctica. It is Peter Olds's deep southern freeze of Montgomery Avenue. Not that we'd think so today with the temperatures out there. But, uh, sort of half expect to see icebergs floating up the harbour after that lot. Um, this city of literature publication, A Town Trod by Poets, uh, which features uh, uh, photographs and poetry by Peter Olds and a, and a poem by a uh, Mexican poet, Rogelio Gadea, addressed to Peter, uh, began as a paper I presented at 2016 Centre for the Book Symposium, Book and Place. Sauntering around the city, trailing a string of quotations, I meant to offer an impressionistic account of Dunedin's presence in poetry with an emphasis on the poetry of Peter Olds, who more than any other writer has mapped the stories of Dunedin streets. Subtitled The Search for Truth on Dunedin Streets, it grew from a phrase in a poem of mine, Grim Satori on Dunedin Streets. Dunedin having been the locus of my misspent youth, not all of which I care to remember. A backdrop to the adventure of suffering, to paraphrase Ian Loney, for whom the city was an Antipodean Mount Purgatory. Hill, tree and tower, by sunlight or starlight, assembled into a setting for something to take place in. So what follows are snippets um, from a town trod by poets. In the old ways, a journey on foot, Robert McFarlane wrote, the compact between writing and walking is almost as old as literature, a walk is only a step away from a story. Many of the Dunedin poems of Peter Olds are stories of or footnotes to his walks, street after Saltwind Street. 
As good an example as any is Balnow's Park, a 2008 poem in which he steps into a story in the imagined company of some local literary forebears, Charles Brash, Ruth Dallas, A.H. Reed, James K. Baxter and an ex-lover as he walks up Highgate towards the town belt, a nor'west wind at my back, stopped at Belnow's Park for a pea and a clump of bush, got sniffed out by a black dog, took a seat on an antiquated bench to take in the view, the ground hollowed at my feet by those who'd been before me watching the surf roll into St Clair, poets Charles and Ruth comparing peninsular visions A.H. and James K. sharing egg and parsley sandwiches. Young couples just setting out, just starting out on life's moonlit journey. I lived around these parts once in a house with roses and a woman. On quiet nights you could hear the sea smash its guts out on the beach below. We drank too much wine, stopped thinking of each other. One night, in a heavy snow, she kicked me out. And not sure whether I knew I was coming or going, I went by this place, believing I wouldn't be back. Charles Brash, too, was a keen walker in the chattering streets, who titled one of his books Ambulando, Walking. In one of the late poems from his posthumously published collection Home Ground, he intones a mantra of Dunedin street names, Great King, Philul, London, Auburnly steps, he tramps his streets into recognition and listens at dawn for the low sea wind scourged, sullenly heaving, sounding where every street ends. Those whiskered bigots who planned this city in holy ignorance of its terrain meant it a cradle of virtue, wrote Ian Loney in his magnificent Dunedin poem Entrance to Purgatory. Janet frames Dunedin as a city that takes no chances. On Sunday afternoons, having been to church, the people are good, quiet, with sober drips at the end of their cold Dunedin noses. <laughs> Even the wind is complicit in the city's respectability, combing the seagulls like dandruff out of the sky. In Cat Spring, however, feline alley hunger makes a sexual slum of a city that is rumoured to be clean and in Dunedin morning the Leith stream, always a loud grumbler, after a feed of high country rain cannot keep its wide apron clean. In the cold hub, James K. Baxter remembers an adolescent night of the soul, lying awake on a bench in the town belt, alone, 18, more or less alive, lying awake to the sound of clocks, the railway clock, the town hall clock, and the varsity clock, genteel, exact as a Presbyterian conscience. And in a small ode on mixed flatting, he asks the stuffy university authorities, have you forgotten that your city was well-founded in bastardry and half your elders, God be thank it, were born the wrong side of the blanket? For Baxter, the mid-20th century Dunedin was on the one hand a mausoleum of bourgeois respectability, and on the other, a theatre of Bohemian revolt. At its centre, the Leith Stream and its culverted course was a symbol of the natural forces repressed by the Calvinism of the times. Peter Olds lived for a time in the early 1970s on the banks of the Leith's hard stream and respectable Montgomery Avenue. 
In revisiting V8 nostalgia, he roars off down it in a 58 V8, beer bottles rolling in the back, fumes pouring up through the floorboards. It was there that the woman who once lit his mind left her habits behind, while a more recent poem has junkies and wrecking machines loose on Montgomery, Montgomery Avenue. And a ghost of a cat, a black cat that pokes its head above the rubble and advises the poet, old man, go and listen to the leaf. For Ian Loney's restless soul, the city was also a place to go on from. In taking my jacket for a walk on the hill suburbs of Dunedin, we find Peter Olds in Mornington, going past the house where Captain Scott last slept on civilised terra firma with his wife, Kathleen, before setting off on his epic journey. You can imagine him standing at the window in an alcove looking dead south from the upstairs bedroom contemplating the way ahead in his mind's eye, the trail to the South Pole. In walking down Alder Street, dropping down the steps from Harriet Row into Alder Street, Knox Church and Dunedin North, spread out like a tray of hot cross buns, Olds remembers number 10, where I lived and wrote for five years in the late 70s and early 80s, a rooming house supreme, a kind of sheltered workshop for poets and strays, Dunedin, a city of psychiatric clinics, pubs and bookstores. Having shifted north, he says, to get off pills and psychiatric on the last NZR bus out of the city, I soon missed the view of the peninsula through the poplars from the French door. I could stand there for hours in autumn, mesmerised by the fog rolling off the dark brown hills. In the clear, a poem dedicated to Charles Brash, he asks for some sort of sign to show me the way clear, a path that might lead to some meaningful place. In Old Comrade, Honey Tufare's drinking mate Jim Jemison, before stumbling to his death, shoulders his way out of the Crown Hotel and into the wind at the corner of Rattray Street. Shoulders hunched, tartan scarf whipping, Jim leaned into the wind. The wind leaned right back and then pulled away. Jim fell. He didn't feel the hardness or coldness of the pavement, for like an old friend come back, the wind held him as he fell. A departure that anyone who has walked into the winter wind surging up Rattray Street in winter will comprehend. Less troubled in a late poem, calm evening, Dunedin Ruth Dallas leans not into the wind, but into the ineffable. 9pm and the sun still shining, the city deserted, the construction cranes make no gesture in the blue sky, make no more gestures in the blue sky, the builders are far away in their holiday houses, the old year nods its head, the new year not yet come, sparrows who have no calendar chatter in the linden trees, my shadow grown tall as a telegraph pole, slants across the quiet streets. Tonight I should like to go on walking forever. The last word goes to a weary R.A.K. Mason who spent three years in Dunedin in the early 1960s. Walking sorely, 
with feet bruised and heart ill-used, he rests a moment as the town croons into his ear. For a year you may rest your head on my breast and a song at the most for payment. Lie by me here for all a year and I'll cradle you full sweetly. But if you will stay for a year and a day, then I'll have your heart completely. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. It's now my pleasure to present with my wonderful colleague, Nicola Cummins, on Detour, Dunedin's own UNESCO City of Literature Literary Tourism app. And usually this is the, this is the English program uh, contingent at the University of Otago that you're looking at. And usually we spend our time um, starting lectures by telling students to put away their cell phones. But we're going to do things a little bit differently. If you have your device and you have your cell phone, you just take it out and download the Detour app. It will be the opposite of us being offended if you spend the entire time being distracted uh, by the app because it's a wonderful literary distraction. That's what it's all about. So uh, Detour can be found by searching uh, Detour without the E in the uh, App Store or Google Play. Just one thing about the app. Um, I was helping someone look for one yesterday and we had to scroll a long way on the App Store to find Detour. There must be a games company. How dare they? Yeah, I know. So be patient. Keep scrolling until you find the purple lozenge with the D on it. Yeah, it's in there. Um, So it was certainly... Thanks, Nicola. It was a team effort. Uh, We've had... Certainly had many sponsors along the way. Uh, looking at the logo, um, I wish I could now remember the name of the individual who did those <laughs> maps because they're they're quite um, fantastic, <laughs> and, and I've and I've taken it wasn't you I don't think, um, and um, we we did uh, uh, compensate them for their um, for their efforts and took that little screenshot and with the, with the help of my wife we made that icon so um, mapping uh, certainly underpins everything we're doing. Um, we're very proud of not only the written uh, contributions that we had from the, the many uh, creative writers writing for Detour, um, but also the archival uh, illustrated work. So this was a, a woodcut um, by, um, of, of Tufere that was um, supplied to us by the Hawken Collections, and that's where many of our stuff comes from. Right, so... Just before I pass over to Nicola, I wanted to close with two observations. Uh, the first is um, the um, fact of situating the project in a, a long line of literary tourism projects that stretch all the way back to uh, Baedeker's Guides and, and Dickens' uh, London. So we're participating in that tradition, but in a contemporary digital way. Um, but we still have the same difficulty of keeping things up to date. And it strikes me uh, as um, curious that of, of all the mapping projects that we're looking at today, ours, even though it's the newest, might be the most um, fragile or, or, or prone to obsolescence. You know, I think the average lifespan of, of these apps is three to seven years, and it, it took us at least three to, to make it. So um, it's a, certainly an interesting endeavor. Um, the, the ephemeral nature of literary locations themselves, though, is something that 
the, the pilgrims who were visiting uh, Dickens' literary sites also uh, famously um, complained of. Uh, for us, this challenge was mitigated uh, in a few ways. Uh, many of the sites we're looking at were, in fact, physical landscapes, as we um, alluded to at the very start. So that speaks to that link between um, landscape and literary imagination. Um, not all of them. You know, I think Owen Marshall's um, Lover's Leap now has the, the lookout tower has been dismantled, so I thought that would be there a little bit longer than it was. Uh, the fact that Dunedin's built uh, architecture is also relatively, and a lot hangs on that word relatively, I, I acknowledge, uh, well-preserved compared to other uh, 21st century towns. Um, the next observation is uh, around the nature of anecdotes. And the, the ethos, the spirit of the project uh, was very much meant to embrace the notion of uh, a conversational tone uh, and an anecdotal quality. And that quality underpins both the form and the method of the project. What do I mean by that? Well, um, the final result was often um, retelling this, the anecdotal stories um, through the form of the app, both um, in text and, and audio form. But it was also the way in which we went about gathering stories. We wanted to find stuff that was not necessarily uh, easily found uh, online. Um, that presented a couple of challenges. Um, either, in some cases, we had too much information, and sometimes we didn't have enough when you're dealing with um, the flighty nature of, of, of anecdotes. Uh, one example of when we had too much uh, information uh, was with the uh, entry that we did for S.E. Summers, whose family is, uh, continues to be very much involved in the estate and, and contributing lots and lots and lots of stuff. So we had to take, uh, it was sort of anecdotal obesity in a sense. We, we didn't know what to do with all of this information. We had to triangulate it to what was found online uh, and really had to pare that down. Um, an example of too little might be A.H. Reed because the anecdotes that we had there would uh, sort of bleed into myth. Of course, his, his um, walking exploits well into uh, his 90s were really well known, but that makes them rife for uh, embellishment and exaggeration. So we had to uh, pin those down, um, but it was a wonderful example of how anecdotes bleed into um, myth-making uh, as well. So at this point, I want to hand over to Nicola, who can tell you a little bit more about the project. Kia ora tato. Thank you, Dave. And uh, I should really begin by acknowledging um, the extreme energy and vision and entrepreneurial spirit of Dave, um, because it's his vision that has powered our app. Um, and also to shout out to Nikki Page and the UNESCO City of Literature, who have been great supporters and great funders, and I'll explain some more about that as I go on. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the anecdotes that I find most fascinating um, about uh, both the process of putting the app together and the anecdotes that we found as we were researching. Um, so we had an idea of building up a kind of literary ecosystem, uh, linking narratives to place, um, adding context 
for literary lives. Um, to do what Roger spoke of, you're able with our app to walk around in Eden, trailing quotations, and you haven't had to commit them to memory. It's, uh, it's, it's a lovely experience. I've, I enjoy uh, doing it very much. So as I've been attending sessions at the Writers' Festival... Um, and thank you very much to them for inviting us all along as well. Um, I've been thinking about the questions asked, and a lot of them have related to the audience, and I think if we think about the audience for the app, that helps explain a lot of to you of, of how we actually worked. Um, so we were, of course, working on the anecdote principle. We wanted to tie things to interesting sites about the town, um, sites that mostly were accessible by foot or by public transport. Um, some of you may have seen the fabulous write-up we got in the New Zealand Herald um, that was put together by a staff writer there visiting Dunedin and touring around on an e-bike. So e-bike riders, it's ideally suited uh, to that. Um, because we've got an audience that are on the move, um, the writing uh, needs to be not too complex because we don't want anyone falling over. You've got to be able to think about placing one foot in front of the other. And as we moved on with the writing, of course, we then learned that the writing needs to be easily read by the voice talent. Uh, so that was the end of my favourite compound complex sentences with a little bit of extra sprinkling of passive voice and um, some technical vocabulary to, you know, raise up the tone. Um, that is not what an audience wants to hear as they wander about the place. We only had 500 words for each of these entries. They're short um, because they're going to be spoken and that, of course, takes longer. Um, and that was the most appalling constraint for me. Um, the first one I handed to Dave was 1,200 words. I can't do anything more with it. <laughs> I, I had, it. Yeah, I got there in the end. But um, uh, I had so much anecdotage, I was, uh, I was overwhelmed. It was also an opportunity for us to involve our student writers and researchers uh, to contribute to a project that built on the skills that we've been developing with them. Um, and as we carried out our research, they were often pleasantly surprised by the breadth and the depth of New Zealand writing uh, to be found here in Dunedin. Um, and as a person who moved to Dunedin uh, myself from the uh, northern and lesser island, um, I've always found Dunedin to be a really charismatic location. Um, the undertones of dark glamour that you find in the little laneways of Dunedin have appealed to me greatly since um, uh, arriving here. And at the festival I've heard writers um, like Bruce Ainsley talk about the compelling nature of the South Island, and I think that's what we're tapping into here. It was a team project, and in humanities, we're often engaged in solo creation, in solo work, um, and uh, I really enjoyed that opportunity uh, to work as, as part of a team. We had rules. Um, there were a number of rules. I've talked to you about the kind of writing rules, but we had rules about where we could cite people. Uh, no private houses. 
right, in case the writer was still living in that private house. Um, that would not do at all. You could not take people inside schools. And in general, we wanted to avoid schools because having people lurk about outside schools is <laughs> problematic. We needed to stay within the Otago boundaries. So I think we go as far south as Kaka Point and as far north as Warrington. Uh, and we roam all over the Otago Peninsula. It's fabulous. Um, the sites. Of course we needed to cover the obvious touristy sites. Uh, so things like the Octagon or the University. Um, but as we moved into the project, we often felt that if we were using a site like that, it was um, because we couldn't really find anything else. Um, so we needed to delve a little bit uh, deeper. Of course, we didn't want to be contrary and send you to perverse locations purely for the sake of it. Um, but we wanted to avoid continually sending people to the writer's walk, for instance, outside where the new E.C. Summers plaque was laid yesterday. Um, nor did we want to keep putting writers at the university because many of our um, writers had been on the Burns Fellowship and so we could always locate them there if necessity arose, but we, we didn't really want to, uh, to do that. Um, very grateful to writers like Vanda Simon, um, who, you know, will place a body in a good Dunedin location for us. Um, that was, those kinds of things were, uh, were very easy to do. So I want to talk about some of the sites that I've really enjoyed working with the team on. Um, the first one is Alison's Pantry. Uh, now, Alison Holst is one of our writers, a great Dunedin food writer, um, who must have single-handedly, I think, kept Heinemann's publishing going for quite some years. Um, and she's commemorated at the Gardens New World Supermarket uh, at the Alison's Pantry stand of Select Your Own Raw Ingredients, that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, Holst's childhood home in Orpahaw was not available to us. Right? We, couldn't, we couldn't take people there. Um, but the supermarket was a natural fit for Holst, whom I certainly think of as the mother of New Zealand cooking, um, known for speedy and straightforward recipes, um, which I've always appreciated because they get you out of the kitchen and on with your life. Um, that profile also contains a recipe. Um, just for variety. So uh, we decided, after having looked through a number of Holst recipes, to go with the greatly beloved pineapple Christmas cake. It's a, it's a goodie. Yes, yes, every year that's made at my house, um, and it's a, a terrific one. Philip Temple is an extremely versatile local writer whom I'm sure many of you will know. Um, perhaps he's a little too versatile. Um, he's written fiction for adults, fiction for children, non-fiction, uh, literary biography. We had lots of discussion about where to put Philip Temple. Eventually, we decided on the aviary at the Dunedin Botanic Gardens. <laughs> because at the aviary, they're a Kia, and he has... Two very famous books, uh, 1981's uh, Beak of the Moon and then the sequel, uh, Dark of the Moon, which are, about, which are written from about the settlement of Aotearoa from the point of view of a colony of Kia. 
none of the figurative language, so no metaphors, no similes, uh, human ones. They're all based on his observation of birds. So you can go to the aviary, you can read some of Philip's work, and you can see the truth of his observation. So uh, we were really pleased with that one. Uh, now, there's a very distinguished-looking lady there uh, wearing a nice 1940s outfit complete with uh, fox fur. This lady is Winifred McQuilkin. Now, she's an example of a, a, an unexpected author writing in an unexpected genre. Some of you may know her under her pen name, Claire Mallory. Um, she was a former headmistress of Columba College, and she wrote some very forward-thinking stories for girls, school stories for girls, uh, in the 1940s. So I think she has an entry that highlights some of the best features of the app, an unexpected author in an unexpected genre, not completely forgotten, but definitely in the underappreciated category. Um, I... The, headmaster, the former headmistress of Columba was studying in our programme at the time we were writing this. I mentioned this to her. A network of former Columba students then got in touch. And uh, I was overcome with uh, the anecdotes from these women, all in their 80s, uh, who had done often extraordinary things with their lives, who wished to commemorate this headmistress. That had meant uh, a, great, a great deal to them. Um, I had all sorts of encounters with that. It was during a time when I was marking examinations. So I'd mark in the morning, and then I'd be on the phone to women around the country in the afternoon, hearing these wonderful stories. Uh, the 500 words was... Dave let me hit 600 for that. Um, LAUGHTER I was able to find a trace of a venue, not a school, mentioned in her works, and that is in the hollowed-out piece of limestone that you see there, which is where the children used to wait to be admitted to the public bars in Dunedin. I see audience members recognise that. It's, for, it's in Moray Place. Um, so she has her students um, raise money for a swimming pool so they don't have to make that epic trek back up Stuart Street to the school. Um, uh, and uh, it was also a chance to draw attention to a site that's commemorated with an installation um, uh, with a poem by our hyperlocal poet, Peter Olds. Um, thank you, Peter, who's the focus of Roger's text. It's also an example of a writer of genre fiction um, who was rather unfairly pilloried by the um, literary establishment. Um, it's a sad story, all due to uh, lack of supervision of a young intern, fresh and hot with the uh, ideology of modernism, um, who wrote that these were terrible stories um, that were elitist and completely denied the validity of the young women's lived experience. I don't think we'd put up with that in our, in our Me Too era. Um, uh, I'm running out of time and we need, to, we need to move on. So perhaps some of the other examples so, will come up in the Q&A. Yes, perhaps, yeah. perhaps they will. Yeah. Um, do you want to end on your... Uh, I'll just, the last one I'll do is um, this slide here, an example of literary ephemera. 
um, that we're commemorating in the app. Um, this is the switchboard at University Bookstore upstairs where the landfall office used to be. Um, and that's Charles Brash's name in chalk in Charles Brash's handwriting. Um, now that has gone already uh, since I took that photograph uh, at the end of last year because uh, the Students' Association are remodelling that building um, and putting apartments in there. Um, but uh, I love that we, that we captured it uh, for, for the app. Stopping now for Thank questions. Yeah. Questions for anyone? We also welcome anecdotes. Actually, my question was about your anecdotes. You've got a lot of information there that you aren't putting on your app, so where is all that information going to be archived? We've had thoughts, haven't we? We do um, envisage like, a really glamorous coffee table book <laughs> going away from the digital. Um, when we're feeling strong enough to do all the work for the image permissions, um, which would be a part of that. Yeah, that's my aspiration as well. It's all sitting somewhere in, in rather vulnerable and fragile status on a single laptop, um, but the printed version would allow us a little bit more room, um, perhaps. So if anybody knows of uh, any publishers who want some uh, a really fascinating project, let us know. I run an Airbnb I have for about five years, people in and out of my house. There's some Chinese there tonight. Um, I get a lot of questions on a cultural kind of level like that. Where is the Jewish Dunedin? Where is the Polish Dunedin? What about the Chinese history of Dunedin? And although I've picked up some over the years, my just my own time here, um, there's not a great deal of that kind of historical information with pictures that a person like me could use to tell these people where to go? Um, well, I think we we are working on kind of overlays, if you like. Is that a good way of thinking of them to the, to the app? And thanks to the um, City of Literature, we have really been able to overlay um, some of the... Uh, uh, some of the writers with um, the some of the anecdotes in the sections on the writers with uh, Tureo. Um so there are twenty writers who can also be listened to in Tureo. and those kind of cultural overlays that you speak of, I think, are a possible continuation for the app. Yeah, I'll just add more and more. Historians are interested in these untold stories as well. And when you put something like Detour out, freely accessible uh, and um, up to the, the crowd consciousness, you get a lot of feedback on anything you don't get exactly right. So when we spoke about um, <laughs> oh, yes. the, you know, the, the um, prison uh, trains that were used in, in Maori Hill, um, we didn't get one of the details right, and we heard from people at, at Toy 2. So in a sense, when you get the, the um, public discourse a little bit more active, some of those stories emerge. So, so historians are very interested in, the, in that old untold um, cultural side as well. I imagine the continuous updating of the app. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, where's the funding of this coming from? Uh, obviously, it's, a, it's been a huge project to date in terms of getting it up. Is this um, 
um, a, a, un, a university basically driven project. I know it's obviously sure. been funded by other institutions, well, the Athenaeum. Well, yeah. luckily, um, we're an equal opportunity acceptor of funds, and we'll take money from anybody. <laughs> um, but the, the answer to that is we, we do the rounds. So we started with, with university grants. We went to um, Creative New Zealand one year, Otago Community Trust. So everybody's really interested in this, um, in this project, but it depends on, on what aspects... Um, of the app we're, we're actually developing. So when we did um, funding uh, for the Tereo component, uh, we, we looked at other, other sources for that because you have different stakeholders interested in, in different things. It's at this stage now that we have around 120 um, locations, around 100 authors, because some of them have multiple locations. Uh, so is long as there aren't major um, technical changes that, that need uh, doing, it should be in a bit of a holding pattern, and I don't want to jinx it. But, um, yeah, so that's the best answer that I have, sure. Hi. Hi. Um, are you still adding authors and writers to it? And if so, where can we submit our, our people? Yes, we we try to – it's an open system, and, and sites can be added. Um, the – production cycle is only difficult in terms of the recording that's done because that's expensive and it requires certain certain talent. So um, there is no formal submission process, but I think uh, there is an email uh, that can be used. And, and what happens uh, is we don't make decisions in a kind of um, top-down manner. We outsource that and we have um, Dunedin, you know, local and also New Zealand scholars um, so that we have uh, a diverse range of, of authors that reflects the, the diversity of literary history. Um, so the first thing to do is to send an email and, um, and then the next time people start working on it, there'll be a whole raft of writers come in because we want new writers to be represented. Uh, in addition, we want some um, much older writers. There's some um, Maori figures on the uh, Otago Peninsula that we haven't had a, a chance and had the right personnel to research those. So we're trying on both ends to, to update. Um, one final question, and then uh, I think we've got to wrap up. Have you considered, or has anybody else considered, a Dunedin UNESCO City of Artistic Experience? Yes. We could be having Franks yes. immediately yes, featured. First in, first in the queue, yes. That's an excellent, excellent question. And when we started the project, um, DCC were, were very much interested in folding our project into other things they were doing that included street art uh, and some of the other things that would be appropriate for actually um, traveling around some sort of in, environs. Uh, we wanted to do our own thing, but it still raises uh, difficult questions of, of um, who to include. And, and, and um, David Elliott's one of the fringe ones because he's best known for his illustrations, but he also wrote children's books. So he sneaks in uh, in some sense. But um, it was just a pragmatic matter to, to draw the boundaries um, somewhere, but we would be very open to sharing our 
experience and our knowledge and our systems and subcontract any kind of artistic or visual <laughs> artist. Um, or there can even be a specialization for, for, for poets and yes. all sorts of things that you can do as soon as you've, you've gone through it once. Um, but at this point, I think we are out of time, so I do want to just close by thanking um, the organizers of the festival, uh, J.W. Smeaton Accountants, and our um, presenters today. Um, the Frank's drawing will go to the highest bidder after the show. <laughs> Thank you again. This Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival podcast was brought to you with funding from Copyright Licensing New Zealand and the expertise of ORFM. The festival also offers thanks to our major funders, Creative New Zealand, the Dunedin City Council and the Otago Community Trust. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.